passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Last week, we began a, a new book in the Bible. It's the book of 1 Samuel. Um, just so you know, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a recap because we didn't have tons of people here last week. Just want to make sure we get everybody on the same page with this book. First uh, and Second Sam, Samuel are actually originally were one book. It was sort of divided into two books simply because of the length, easier to handle that way. Um, but it's the story of three great leaders in the nation of Israel. When Israel was especially going through a time of leadership crisis. These are the three men that God raised up. They were Samuel, Saul, and David. And this book is about that story. To place this book historically on the timeline, <coughs> it begins in around 1050 BC. It's, it's about two to 300 years after Israel went into the promised land under Joshua is when this book picks up. Those two to three hundred years after they went into the promised land was a very chaotic, uh, difficult time. Because while Israel was to be a theocracy, as you'll remember, which is a nation ruled by God, that's not the way it worked out. As the book of Judges says, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They just did what they wanted to do. What would happen is they'd start to follow the, the pagan nations around them, follow their ways. Then God would raise up an oppressor. Then the Israelites would repent of their sin. They'd call out to God for rescue, and God would raise up a judge who would save them. Uh, a judge was like Samson. He was one of the judges. Ehud was one of the judges. And, it, and you end up with um, these times God saves them. God brings them back, and they, they repent and guess what? They drift right away again. And God sends another oppressor. They repent. God sends another judge. And then they, God saves them, brings them back. They drift away again. It's a constant cycle. You can read about this in the book of Judges. This is what's going on. Now, when you come to the book of 1 Samuel, God is going to put a stop to this cycle. He is going to raise up three great leaders. Like I said, they, were, they are Samuel, who is the last of the judges, then Saul and David, who will be the first of Israel's kings. Last week, we looked at the first 20 verses of this book, which introduces us to Samuel. It's his birth and his conception. Now, take your outlines out, and let's briefly review his birth. So, the birth of Samuel. Last week we learned his mother is a woman named Hannah. She's a God-fearing woman married to a man named Elkanah. And Hannah has this problem, which sometimes women do. Which she just could not conceive children. So Elkanah decided to marry a second wife to be able to bear him children in the family. And last week we looked at this, the whole issue of polygamy. And so you guys who think that's a great idea, we saw last week in the Bible that every single time you have polygamy, it's not a happy home. It never works out well. It's a bad idea. This is not the way God created it to be. And it didn't work out well in Elkanah's home. Because Peniah, well, this is the woman that he married, the second woman that would bear him children. 
she was an extremely fertile woman. I mean, she was like giving birth to children faster than Iowa farmers can raise corn. I mean, just like the kids are all over the place. But she knew that even though she bore Elkanah a lot of children, she was not number one in his heart. That Hannah, the childless wife, the first wife, was the woman that he dearly and deeply and honestly loved. And Paniah, while she was a fertile wife, she was also a very wicked wife. She decided that she'd make it her mission in life not just to bear children for Elkanah, but to make Hannah's life as miserable as she possibly could. She would taunt her and torture her and insult her, degrade her and mock her. And last week we saw that in the midst of her complete and total brokenness, Hannah went to the tabernacle and she desperately cried out to the Lord, asking God to rescue her from her afflictions. She said, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you all the days of his life that he may serve you. And God heard her prayer and God answered her prayer. And that was the conception of Samuel. Now Samuel was not just the child that would relieve her from her affliction of being childless. But Samuel is the man who would help the nation of Israel in their affliction, a leadership nation, a leaderless nation that desperately needed strong leadership for God's people. And that is what God provided in Samuel. But at this point, the question that remains is now that Hannah is holding in her arms that child that she so desperately wanted, that child that she prayed for, the child she has longed for, will she keep her promise and give him back to God? Or will she sort of forget about her promise now that she has what she wants? Will she break her promise? Or will she try to just say, well, let me just bend the promise a little bit. Why don't we wait a long time until he's old enough to make a decision on his own rather than give him back to God? What will she do? Will she keep her word and make the great sacrifice of giving her child back to God? Let's find out. Take your Bibles out. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read verses 21 through 28, and then we'll study them together. Stand out of reverence for the God's word. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, 
she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And, he, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And that ends the reading of the word of God. You can be seated. Let's go ahead and work our way through these verses. So take out your outline. You can follow along. The first thing we see here is that uh, Elkanah and Hannah were a God-fearing couple. We see this in verses 21 and 22. Then Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Let's start at the very beginning. We begin by looking at Elkanah. It says he went up typically for the yearly sacrifice, and he also went there to pay his vow. And the first thing I want us to notice about Elkanah is he was a guy who was very regular in worship. He went there yearly like he was supposed to do the tabernacle at Shiloh. This was an annual event, and he was there. Now remember, at this time, most people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Most people were neglecting going to worship. But that was not Elkanah. No, he was a good and godly man. He made sure that he went to church. He made sure that his family went with him to church. He was faithful. In fact, I have this in your outline. Elkanah made sure he attended church, essentially, with his wife and children. He was a good dad. He was a good husband. He made sure that he was faithful in worship, and he made sure his family was faithful in worship. But the other thing we see about him is this. And I have this in your outline. Elkanah was a man who kept his promises. It says when he went there yearly, he was there and he made sure he paid his vows. Now, what were his vows? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but what it does tell us is whatever they were, when he made them, he kept them. So not only was he a man that was faithful in worship, but he was a man of his word. Vows. Promises we make. Sometimes they're easy to keep. Sometimes they're hard to keep. And oftentimes when something is hard to keep, what people like to do is they like to skip keeping their vows and their promises. That was not El Cana. He kept his promises when they were easy and they were hard. I remember years ago when I was in a church meeting when I was first serving as a lead pastor and we wanted to get a playground for our kids. 
and we were going to have a budget vote, and there wasn't a, but, a playground in the budget. And so a guy stood up. He was a construction worker, and he said, I'll build the playground for the kids. Everyone's like, yeah, great. Well, my kids, my oldest two are 23 and 25, and there's still no playground. Obviously, as soon as I was looking at this text, that guy came to mind because he was not a man of his word. As godly men, as Christian men and Christian women, we are to be people of our word. If we make a promise, we keep a promise. And by the way, we'll see here in a few minutes that it's not just Elkanah is notable as being a man of his word, but Hannah is also a woman of her word. She keeps her word and her promises, which means they were obviously a good match as a couple. Now, what does the Bible say about making and keeping promises? Let me give you some verses. It says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. God's people, there be men and women that are notable because we keep our word. Deuteronomy 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed from your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised from your mouth. So clearly, God's people are to be men and women of their word. Now I thought to myself, what kind of promises do we make? Not just regular promises, but what kind of vows do we make today that are before God? And here's an idea. How about the marriage vow? Isn't that a promise that we make before God? People typically want to do their weddings at church. <coughs> and some people think the reason you do a wedding at church is it's a large facility. You can gather everybody and it looks really good. But that's not the true reason why a wedding takes place at church. Part of the traditional wedding ceremony is, God, we are gathered here today with you as the greatest witness in the room. We're making a promise to be husband and wife with God as the greatest witness and God overseeing the promise. And think about the seriousness of the vows. To love and to cherish for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That's a vow that's taken before God. And it's a vow that it chooses to be taken seriously. And God tells us as Christians we should take that seriously, not casually. What's another kind of vow that we would take that's before God? How about an oath of office? You ever seen that where uh, somebody is elected into a position of office and they put their hand on a Bible and then they swear to, you know, be truthful in leadership. They swear to be integrity in leadership. They swear to have courage in leadership. Now, a lot of times we think of that as more of a formality, but God doesn't take that as a formality. He takes that seriously. Or maybe you're in a court of law and you put your hand on the Bible. Uh, I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Not a formality. 
It's a vow, a promise before God, and God takes that seriously. So Elkanah and both Hannah, as we'll see, are men and women who both kept their word. Now let's get back to our text. Well, Elkanah went up to worship. We know Hannah did not go up to worship. She said, I'm going to stay home until he is weaned, and then I will take him up, and then he will appear before the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. One of the key pieces here, and you wouldn't necessarily see this in English, is the word appear. In Hebrew, it means to formally present someone before authority. So like you would formally present someone before a king. What Hannah's plans are is that she wants to wait till Samuel is old enough that he does not necessarily need her. He's been weaned from her. Then he will formally, she will formally present Samuel before the Lord to dwell there forever. Now let's talk about this idea a little bit. This is point three. Hannah taught Samuel about God when he was young. Something you need to know. A Jewish women weaned their children at the age of three, sometimes as late as four. And some of you are going, wow, that's a long time. I thought the same thing. But if you look at some of the extra biblical books, that's typically the time where children were weaned. So this is a longer period of time than you would be accustomed to. Some of you are thinking much shorter. This is longer. And here's the other thing to understand. A mother's job is not to just physically raise her children, but to spiritually train her children. For Jewish women, they had the responsibility of training their children in the Lord when they were young. Now, as the children got older, that responsibility began to shift to the fathers more. But mother's role in the early years was extremely, extremely important. Now, if Hannah was going to leave Samuel in the house of the Lord, where he will get his later biblical education, she knew it was her responsibility until he was weaned, the age three or four, to give him his early biblical education. So she was teaching him the word of God when he was very young, before he was even weaned. Remember, that's up to age three or even age four. Now this brings us to a topic that I want to discuss with you guys, which is the importance of a mother's role in raising children. Hannah desperately wanted to be a mother. And there are many women out there who struggle to have children. They desperately want to be mothers. When she finally had Samuel, she poured all of her passion into mothering, which was not just raising him physically, but she poured her time into raising him spiritually. She taught him the word of God in the early years. Mothers, especially if you're here this morning who is a mother of young children, I want to tell you, you cannot underestimate the importance of your role. When you are home 
and you are reading your children those Bible stories in those little picture books, when you have your hand on your child and you're praying over your children when they're two years old, when they're one years old, they're three years old, they're four years old, you may think they are not picking up anything. You will be shocked. They are picking up a lot of things as you pray over them, as you read to them. Children are learning from you. Hannah had the early role of forming young Samuel's heart. The man that God was going to raise up to be one of the great leaders of a nation. It all began with his mother when he was under three or four years old. Moms, there is a lot of pressure on you to do everything but pour your lives into your children. Today, there's a lot of pressure on moms to do everything outside of the home, to do everything besides be a mother who pours into her children. It's a lot of pressure to raise your children on the iPad with Blue's Clues. Raise your children on the television with Sesame Street. Let Blue's Clues, let Sesame Street on the, all the other little kids' programs be the parent in your child's life. That's what the pressure is. But don't give in to that. You are the ones who can best pour the word of God into your little child's soul. It's not going to come off a videotape. It's going to come from you. Do not underestimate the importance of your role. Let's continue. Point four, Elkanah supported his wife and encouraged her spiritual commitments. Verse 23, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, all right, well, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him, only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Elkanah understood Hannah's desire to fulfill her vow. He supported his wife. Now under the Old Testament law, Hannah could make a vow, she could make a commitment, but technically it wasn't valid unless her husband affirmed it and supported it because a woman was under the leadership of her husband. So technically, even though Hannah had vowed and promised to dedicate Samuel to the Lord if the Lord allowed her to conceive, technically it wasn't valid unless Elkanah, her husband, also affirmed it and supported it. And that is what he did. He supported his wife's spiritual commitments. He did not under his, undermine his wife's spiritual commitments. Now, what does it mean, this one line where he says, only may the Lord establish his word? I'll be honest and tell you, I'm not quite sure. There's a lot of different thoughts uh, in different commentaries over what it means, exactly what it was referring to. I'm not exactly sure, but here's what I think it is referring to. 
I think he is referring back to Hannah's promise to dedicate Samuel to the Lord. In other words, okay, you can stay home. You cannot bring him up to the tabernacle at Shiloh, but just make sure we keep our word. Make sure we keep our promise. So like Elkanah and Hannah, they're the original promise keepers. <laughs> they're men and women of their word. And what we see from this is that Samuel grew up in a home where his parents, by the way, had spiritual unity. Weren't they on the same page together? Hannah was a godly woman. Elkanah was a godly man who did not undermine his wife's commitments. Rather, he supported his wife's commitments. Remember that Samuel is not just Hannah's son. Samuel is also Elkanah's son. This is the first son from the wife that he loves. So it's not just a sacrifice for Hannah to dedicate her child to the Lord and bring him to the tabernacle at Shiloh when he is young to stay there for life. It's a sacrifice also for her husband, Elkanah, who loves this son also. But Elkanah will support his wife in this. And they are united together when it comes to following God in this. Great spiritual unity. Now here's some application for us. If you're not married, if you're young, listen to me on this. It is very important that you only date and marry a believer. You want to be in a spiritually united home. You do not want to be in a spiritually divided home. Paul talks about this in the book of Corinthians. What, common, what does light and darkness have in common? Do not be unequally yoked together. And I just want to tell you, I, I've been doing this job long enough. And I've heard all the dumb excuses people give. They say, oh, well, you can date an unbeliever. You just can't marry an unbeliever. Dudes, I'm not dumb. I shouldn't have said that. That's not pastoral. But let's just be honest. The reason you date somebody is because you think you may be interested in somebody. There's plenty of people who start out dating and end up marrying. So if you know that you cannot marry someone because they don't know Christ, don't bother dating someone who doesn't know Christ. That's the way it works. You do not want to be in a divided home. You want to be in a home where a husband and wife can spiritually support one another like Elkanah and Hannah did for one another. Very important. Another application. Say you're married right now and you're in a Christian home right now, a united home right now. Men, I want to talk to you. There's things to learn here. Support your wife in her spiritual commitments. Don't discourage your wife when she has spiritual commitments and gifts. While the Bible is very clear that a man is the a husband is the head of his family and uh, a men are the head of the church, that does not mean in any sense that women are less spiritually gifted, less spiritually talented. There are a ton of amazing women in Scripture. 
and we want to affirm and encourage those gifts. Hannah is one of them right here. And look at Elkanah. It says, you have made this commitment to the Lord, even if it means giving up our son to serve the Lord. This is a big sacrifice. I support you in it. I want to encourage you in it. So husbands, is your wife your wife first and foremost? Yes, of course. Is she the mother of your children? Yes, first and foremost. But if she says, I want to be involved on Wednesday night to help in Awana, to help other kids know Jesus, support that. Encourage that. Don't undermine that. She says, I want to be able to be involved over here to help encourage other women in the women's ministry or whatever it may be. Support that and encourage that. That's what we see Elkanah doing right here. So this is the application. I have the point right here. Husbands should encourage their wives' efforts to grow Christ's kingdom. Point number five. The sacrifice of Hannah's worship shows the gratitude of Hannah's heart. Verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Now there's a lesson here we may not initially see. Uh, the ESV text we're using says that she brought a three-year-old bull. And many English translations follow that, say a three-year-old bull. But I want you to realize that the Hebrew, it says three young bulls. And you could actually translate it as a three-year-old bull or, a three, or three young bulls. It's a little bit ambiguous in the way it's written. And the reason that many times modern translations go with a three-year-old bull is because bringing up three young bulls for sacrifice is a huge amount of money. It is a huge sacrifice of worship. Yet I think that's exactly what happens. And that's exactly the point. Out of the gratitude of her heart, she brings a huge sacrifice of worship to express her thanks to the Lord. Just to give you a little bit of extra support as to why I think this is three young bulls, says she brings an ephah of flour. An ephah is about 22 liters. Think of you know, one liter Coke bottles, 22 of those full of flour. In the Old Testament law, when you sacrificed a bull, you were required to bring with it three-tenths of an ephah of flour. So she brings enough flour to sacrifice for three bulls. The same thing with the skin of wine. It's large enough, it would be, to for the three bulls. So she has a huge sacrifice. Now why does she do this? And I have this in your outline. The greater our gratitude to God, the more joyfully we will sacrifice in worship to God. Isn't that true? The greater our gratitude, the more joyfully we will sacrifice. And that's exactly what's going on here. This is a principle that still applies to us today. Sometimes people will say, you know, it's Sunday morning. I am so tired. We had a really rough weekend. We were out doing skiing. We were out doing things on the boat. 
I'm just going to skip going to church because I'm tired today. My answer to that is, no, that's the best time to go to church, to worship the Lord when you're tired, when you're exhausted, because then it's a greater sacrifice to be here, which means it's a greater act of worship to be here. True? The greater the sacrifice, you know, you make a greater sacrifice, it's a greater act of worship. When it comes to our offering, and sometimes we like to tip God like he's a waiter. You know, I'll give you five bucks, God. But that's not what the scriptures would teach us. Our scriptures would teach us to give joyfully, give generously, give sacrificially, give proportionately. Many people give a tithe, 10% of their income to God, and they often give over, above, and beyond in their income to God. Like to things like the capital campaign. And why, have, I think, have many people given so generously? It's because people are so incredibly thankful to God. They like to worship God joyfully and sacrificially. We're in this, cap, uh, we're in this Bible reading time where we're trying to do the take up and read. We're trying to read the New Testament five days a week, one chapter a day. If you fall behind, you got the weekend to catch up. I, I use the weekends to catch up, I admit. But some people have said to me, chapter a day, five days a week, man, that's a lot. I don't know if I could get that done. That's too much of a sacrifice. I have a busy life. And my answer is, I know your life is busy. But that's the whole point. That means it's a greater sacrifice for you to read the word of God, which means it's a greater act of worship when you do make that sacrifice to read the word of God. So don't back off on the reading plan. Step into the reading plan. So the sacrifices we willingly make for worship to God reveal the depth of our gratitude to God for saving our life. <coughs> that brings us to point six. Hannah was able to give Samuel to the Lord because she knew it was the Lord who gave Samuel to her. The last verses. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. A uh, couple issues at the front end. Let me straighten these out. It says they sacrificed the bull. Wait a minute, that's one bull. You told me a few minutes ago that they brought up three bulls. Well, it's okay. Typically when you would dedicate someone, you would sacrifice an animal. So they had one bull they used for dedicating Samuel. Probably the other bull was used for what's called a whole burnt offering where it's consumed. Another bull was used for probably a fellowship offering, which is essentially a church potluck at the end where you get to eat the meat, not just sacrifice the meat. So, you know, just the fact that it says they sacrificed the bull, one bull was clearly used for dedicating Samuel. It doesn't mean there was no other bulls used. It's also, I want to make a comment on this word where she says, he is lent to the Lord. Now, in our understanding, that means he's borrowed. You know, we're just going to lo loan him out for a while, and then he comes back. He's loaned out as long as he lives. Um, the Hebrew here could mean lent. It also can mean dedicated. 
And I think the word dedicated, I think, is a better translation. So she dedicated him to the Lord, but gave him away to the Lord and left him behind. Now, as I said, I've always wondered, how could she do this? This is a three to four year old child. Mothers, can you imagine this? Leaving your three to four year old son at church to be raised by the pastor? That's a crazy idea. Well, here's what it is. She understood that any good thing she had in her life came from God. And that enabled her to give that back to God. See, if you think, or if I think, that the good things we have in our life are things that we earned, things that we did, things that we created in our own strength, we'll be very tight-fisted about that. We'll be very prideful about that. But when we realize that every good thing is a gift from God entrusted into our hands, we can give back. Think of it this way. You put it down. I, I put this down in your outlines. If we see every good thing in our life as a gift from God that helps us to give back to God. Think of your paycheck. Is that something you earned? Something you did with your own strength? Uh, not really. Isn't it God who gave you your job? Isn't it God who gave you the intellect necessary to do your job? Isn't it God who's given you the health and strength so you can continue in your job? Isn't it God who's given you the success in your job? There's plenty of people who work harder than us, plenty of people that are smarter than you or me, yet things didn't turn out quite as well for them. So really, all the money that you get from your paycheck is a gift from God. And when you realize that, it's a lot easier to give back to God, isn't it? When we get the plans approved from Spencer for our new building, hopefully, hopefully soon and hopefully in a reasonable time, just so you know, we're not planning on a ton of that being contracted out. We're going to do a lot of that as a home improvement project. We're going to swing hammers. We're going to put up walls. Now, some of you guys have a lot of construction gifts. It'll be easy to stay home and say, yeah, that's nice. I hope you guys have fun. I'm cooling my heels and watching a sports game. But who gave you those construction gifts? Who gave you those abilities? Isn't it God? And if God gave you those things, it's a lot easier to sacrifice by giving your time at night, giving your time on the weekends so we can construct that facility. Have you seen the gym and how some ladies have set it up for the chili cook-off today? I look down there and I'm like, I can tell somebody has gifts of hospitality and it's not me. I mean, they did a really nice job putting it together. And those gifts came from God. And I'm so thankful the desire to use those gifts to give back to God. That's really important. So, Hannah could give her son to God because she really saw it clearly that God is the one who gave him to her and God gave all of the good gifts in her life. <coughs> now, there's something else to point out. God loves to give to those who give him. 
This is not the end of the story for Hannah. You go a little further on, this is what you find. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So the woman who couldn't conceive a child turns around, and she becomes an extremely fertile mother who's a mother of six. And I just want to point out, it just as a general pattern from Scripture, when people love to give to God, doesn't God love to give back to them? It's a general pattern. It is, and you can see this in, in Scripture, Luke chapter 6. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken over, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And I think that God honored her for giving Samuel up. Point seven, Elkanah and Hannah provide a model for Christian parenting. Now, as I was thinking about Elkanah and, and Hannah giving up Samuel, her only son, in service to the Lord, I thought how countercultural that is, how different that is. Many parents today, Christian parents, would discourage their children from being dedicated to the Lord, or discourage their children from serving the Lord. Not because they say that overtly, but they say that covertly. Because the subtle message they get at home is, what's really important is that you're a financial success in life. When the message they need to have from home is what's really important is that you're faithful to Christ in your life. And whatever job God gives you, that'll be okay. Not that you shouldn't have goals there, but faithfulness to God is greater. Let me give you the fill in the blanks here. Hannah and Elkanah knew it was better to dedicate Samuel to God than to tell him to pursue worldly success and keep him close to home. And the duty of Christian parents is to raise children who are faithful and fruitful for Christ in their generation. That is more important than raising children whose first priority is to be a success in the eyes of the world. And this one, Hannah poured the word of God into Samuel for the three to four years she had him in her home. We are to pour the word of God into the lives of our children for the 18 to 19 years we have them before they leave our home. Now as I close, I want to give you a challenge. This may not apply to a lot of people in this room because of your age, but I want to particularly talk to those who are young, who have young children this morning. As we read about Hannah dedicating her child to God, giving that child to be used for God and his kingdom and the temple for the rest of his life. Did the Holy Spirit begin to prompt you? Did the Holy Spirit begin to say to you, that's what I want for my son? That is the dream I have for my daughter. I want to dedicate them fully to God, even when they're young. I'll tell them that what's not what's most important is that they're financially successful, but what's most important is they use their life to make an impact for Christ and his kingdom in their generation. That is my dream. That is my prayer. I want to dedicate my son or my daughter to the Lord. Did the Holy Spirit begin to prompt you that way? 
Now, in a few minutes, we're going to close in prayer. When we close in prayer, I'm going to have every head bowed. And if that is something that the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to, to dedicate your child to Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity in that moment, during that prayer time, to look up and have your eyes meet mine as a way of signifying to the Lord that, yes, I want to dedicate my child to you to be used in any way for your kingdom. As I was chewing on this text this week, it came back to mind conversations I had with my mother and an occasion that happened when I was about eight years old. We grew up in a Baptist church. And the pastor was preaching. It was an evening service, and he was actually preaching through 1 Samuel. I wasn't there at the time. I was in the kids' stuff. And uh, he came to this passage, and he presented a challenge at the end of the message. Does anyone want to dedicate their child to God to be used for his kingdom in any way that God sees fit? And he said, allow that child to go far away from your home, just like Samuel left Ramah and moved to Shiloh. Now, in Baptist churches, they don't just have you look up and meet eyes. They actually have you stand up. My mother stood up when I was eight years old, and she said, I really felt the Holy Spirit saying I was to dedicate my son, my only child, the child I prayed for and longed for to God, and I give him to you. Take him wherever you want and use him for your kingdom. She had no idea. I had no idea that 17 years later I'd start as a pastor. She had no idea, and I had no idea that I'd spend the rest of my life in the Midwest when my parents lived on the East Coast in Philadelphia. We wouldn't see them about once or twice a year. And she said, you know, but that's okay. Because I remember that night, I gave you to God. I just didn't think he'd actually use you. And I said that you can go wherever, take, you ever, take them wherever you want. And he took you halfway across the country. And God honored that commitment. Now my question is, is God doing the same thing today here at Crosswinds? Is God raising up another pastor, another missionary, another worship leader, another children's pastor or something like that is he doing that with your children and is he beginning by prompting you right here right now to dedicate your child to God saying Lord it's not what I want for their future but I dedicate them to you to be used in any way you want anywhere you want for your kingdom if God is prompting your heart as I close in prayer as I said look up and have your eyes meet mine. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for Hannah dedicating her son, dedicating him to God. I thank you for the people that are looking at me right now, that are giving their son, that are giving their daughter to you to be used in any way you see fit any way you want take them wherever you would just use them to make a huge impact 
for your kingdom into their generation. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.